Welcome to Prosecco and Pros, episode 49. This week's Jello shot is a strawberry Prosecco jelly dessert. This week's Pros is from Alice Monroe, a basket of strawberries and Menacetong. Thank you for joining us for an episode of Prosecco and Pros. I'm Amy. And I'm Wendy. We're a deep dive virtual book club. That's kind of like a quiz-free lit class you never knew you needed. So let's pop pop a cork cork for this week's episode of Prosecco and Pros. For those who are listening in the car, please don't drink and drive. Save the bubbly for later. Today's jello shot, or dessert I should say, looks delicious, doesn't it? It does. It really does. I'm kind of looking forward to trying it. I think we've really stepped up with these last few. I'm not going to say I'm a jello convert, not saying that, but I'm warming up to some of these. The last few have been so pretty and they've tasted pretty good as well, Yeah. but we've saved the best for last or at least the ones that look the best. That's just how the pairings ended. I mean, we had to pair a strawberry jello shot with a short titled a basket of strawberries, right? Absolutely. Now, this recipe is from at Little Epicurean. Her page oh, is mouthwatering. It's delicious. Yeah. Be sure to check out Marianne's page and blog. Blog is littleepicurean.com for the recipe and tons of other delicious treats. She's got cakes, pies, drinks, donuts. So yummy. Um, the pictures made me crave donuts, didn't they make oh, I you? I love donuts. I know. I need to make some. I haven't made donuts since I was a kid. Ugh. I just love fresh, hot, plain donuts. Ooh, I love a good bacon maple bar mm. or like a homemade apple cider donut. Oh, they're just so good. Mm. Now you got me thinking donuts. I know, we're thinking about a little donuts. A bit of sugar though. I, I probably need some like steak in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the onto bacon. this. The yeah, bacon. The bacon, yep. But onto this strawberry Prosecco jelly dessert. I mean, this was another two-step jello shot, but not hard at all no. if you don't have to make it twice. <laughs> she means follow directions. <laughs> it has water, one cup, but we decided to kick it up a notch and sub half of that with strawberry and rose vodka. Yeah, we're fancy like that. Oh, so good. We had a couple shots of that just plain just to see what the aftertaste was and it's Gosh, good. It's really good. It's good. Isn't it's it? It was organic. Very... Isn't all vodka organic though? I don't know. But it was low sugar. Yeah. But it, it didn't burn. It was it was nice. It was nice. It had a little burn. Amy actually wanted to use just vodka, um, no water, but I thought that might be a bit too much. I don't think so. <laughs> so she grudgingly went with half. <laughs> In addition to the vodka water mixture that we added, um, it's also got unflavored gelatin, sugar, prosecco, of course, mm-hmm. right? Ginger ale, um, strawberries, heavy cream, powdered sugar, and um, gold sprinkles. It called for turbinado sugar for garnish, but we just used gold sprinkles because we had them on time. And I would never use up that stuff. Now, we sliced up the strawberries and divided them among the glasses, then made the water, vodka, prosecco, ginger ale, jello mixture. Then we poured it over those strawberries. It said to very carefully... Yeah. Over. And I did. For once, I didn't manhandle it. <laughs> you didn't. And no. then the strawberries like float up. Yep. Right. And this caused the strawberries just to kind of, they were gently just bloop, 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 floating up <laughs> okay. to the top. And I thought, oh, is this, this looks good. This looks good. Um, and then we chilled that for about an hour and then made the whipped cream. Topped the jello with whipped cream, added some more strawberry slices and gold sprinkles for garnish. So pretty. It's really pretty. So pretty. These would be great for like a Valentine's party. Ooh, I agree. With the girls or maybe as a special Valentine's dessert with your special someone. Maybe. Thinking. Maybe. These are just so pretty. They have to be good. I mean, they look good, so they have to be good, right? Right. They have to be. I might have to make them for Rafino and I on Valentine's. He loves Jell-O. 
And I love staying in. Oh, someone's overly excited about some jello for being a non jello lover. I know. I, I do ho- know you like to stay home, though. <laughs> I hope I'm not disappointed in this jelly dessert. Let's try them. I need to know. All right. Definitely can smell the strawberry and cream, but they're it's just right on top. So it's hard not to. Yeah, but the strawberry just makes it smell so good. Mm. And they've been sitting in the fridge. So, mm. I mean, we've had them in there overnight. So it's really mm. so yeah. good. Definitely want to make sure you use a glass with like a wide enough mouth for a spoon. Last episode was a little hard. We had to use those little baby spoons. <laughs> we did. And I didn't want to, you know, burst all that boba all over my floor. So I was just like watching you like a hawk saying, careful, careful, careful. <laughs> I know. I, I felt like I wasn't even really allowed to eat. But these are more of a dessert, you know, than a shot. Yeah, I they're say. definitely a dessert. All right. So okay. let's um, get through the whipped cream and the strawberries and the... <clears throat> I'm hmm. choked on a on a number of. <laughs> They're good. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm not. We probably could have used all the vodka instead of the I water. I think so. It's not strong. It's not potent. I got mostly strawberries, so I'm gonna try to get like some of the Jello. Hmm. It's definitely dessert like. It is dessert like. Yeah. The whipped cream just adds. It's nice. Yeah. Together. This is it's not like one of those dessert jellos that you get like at a cafe, like an old timey no, you know, it's too, like this is too fancy. Is your waiter <laughs> or waitress and she gets it from the twirly cube. <laughs> twirly I mean, this cube. Is fancy. This is fancy and the flavor is good. It's it's not strong. Mm-mm. It's not overly powerful or anything. Yeah, it's not too bad. Now I am getting like a sense of something other than prosecco though. I mean, there's a little essence of something, and I'm, I mean, I'm positive that it's the vodka, strawberry, um, rose. The- okay, I think that's your chef stuff. You ha- you're more attuned to those. I'm just going to say that for Jello at the moment, I'm not super opposed to it. It's not like JB's big boy Jello. <laughs> no. Okay, author. Okay. Alice Monroe is the only Canadian author of our season. Oh, yeah. Did you know she that? Is. Yeah. She was born July 10th, 1931 in Ontario, Canada, and she still lives there today. She's 91 years old. Wow. I wonder what's her secret. I don't know, but she looks fantastic. She does. Yeah. She's won loads of awards to include the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2013 for her work. This is what it said on the Nobel Prize site. As a master of the contemporary short story. Master. That's so cool. That's so cool. (laughs) She's widely regarded as one of the most important short story writers, and her work's been described as revolutionizing the architecture of short stories, particularly in its tendency to move forward and backward in time. Oh. And that it did. Oh, I can't wait to start discussing this. I think maybe that's kind of why I struggled with these stories in the beginning. I mean, you know how I am. (laughs) I'm a little special. (laughs) Special is good. Um. You know, though, they weren't that easy for me the first time through either, so. You really had to be paying attention. You did. I almost needed the whole picture to enjoy the story, you know, to understand what was going on and then read it with that knowledge. I don't know. I feel like some of the struggle is just with the language. Maybe I'm not that smart. It feels archaic in these stories. Yeah, I had to look up a lot of words this season. So many words. Oh my gosh, maybe I'm just losing my touch. I don't know. I just felt like am I just But we did talk about a lot of the older short stories with our, yeah. the archaic language. I just remember thinking I'm not as smart as I thought that I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm still a huge fan of short stories. Oh, me too. Me too. Yes. There's just they're so 
packed. They are. One of Monroe's most well-known works is The Bear Came Over the Mountain. It was adapted into a film in 2006 called Away From Her. I haven't read or watched either. Another TBR and TBW. <laughs> yeah. We'll never <laughs> run out. Monroe seemed like quite the lady and there were so, there were just so many fun facts I found on her. And here's one that made me think of you. Me? Oh, dear. (laughs) And you're laughing already? Oh, no. I got to hear it. Well, she was teaching a creative writing class at York University in Toronto in 1973, but she quit because she hated her class. Well, I mean, sometimes you were a teacher. I know. There had to have been days where you just wanted to walk out and never return. And I'm sure that also, that's not exclusive to teaching. I bet that happens in other jobs. Well, I didn't return. (laughs) But it wasn't because of the kids. (laughs) Enough said. Anyway, Monroe said her class was all boys and one girl who hardly spoke and that their writing was incomprehensible and trite. Maybe it was. Trite. I think it's the, when I read the word trite, I thought of you. I hope you don't think I'm trying no. or you just think it's a word I would use. You, it's a word you would use. <laughs> I actually prefer I would use that word. I actually prefer a boy-heavy class. I think there's less drama in a class like I agree. All, all I boys. so yeah. agree. I love teaching football players. Yeah. Well, I don't teach football. Well, little ones. But even though Monroe had already published stories, she suffered from terrible writer's block and anxiety in her late 20s, early 30s. Um, She and her first husband moved to Victoria, British Columbia, and opened a bookstore. That's a way to get over writer's block, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Working in the bookstore actually did help her overcome her writer's block, and she went on to publish 14 short story collections. The bookstore is still open. Monroe's not – she isn't associated with it anymore, but it's still open, and it's been described as the most magnificent bookstore in Canada, possibly – North America. Oh, I would so love to see it. I've been to Victoria, actually. I wish I'd have known. Oh, yeah. It's a completely refurbished Royal Bank building, and it looks amazing. You'll just have to Google it. Love a beautiful bookstore. Oh, me too. Me too. One other cool fact about Monroe's books, when Jim Monroe, you know, that was her first husband, retired, he turned over ownership to four long-term staffers. Loyalty always pays off. I'd love to check out that shop. Yeah, me too. So I had a fun fact reminding me of you, and now I've got one reminding me of me. Okay. this I'm going to turn it around on me. (laughs) And I've got to hear this because you've got some crazy story always. This one's a fun one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I read that her favorite game to play when she was a kid was a game called Funerals. I'm not sure that sounds fun, but I'm too curious to stop you. (laughs) So one person got to be the corpse and the other would stage a mock funeral complete with flowers that were mostly weeds and a tearful viewing. Interesting. I'm trying to see how this would relate to you. (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I just, when I read this, I just had to laugh um, because my brother and I and our friends, Tanya and Ronnie, they lived down the street from us and... We used to play this game called Snowy Murder. Of course you did. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Your poor parents. So we'd go outside in the winter after a huge storm and sprinkle, we'd probably steal it from our parents, um, our mom's, you know, cabinets, red food coloring oh my. all over the fresh snow. Drama. Yes. And then we'd all lie down like we were dead. So cars would drive by, some would halt and I mean, in a panic stop and start running to us. And then some would just carry on because they knew it was, you know, 
the crazy kids that lived yeah. on Park Garden Road. But I loved, loved, and I just have the fondest memories of seeing how many cars would stop. We'd either sit up and just start laughing, or if somebody, I mean, it looked just in panic, we would just take off running. You're horrible. I know, but it was so much fun. So, guys, it's called snowy murder. <laughs> or funerals. <laughs> I'm actually not going to lie, because that does sound kind of fun. <laughs> we should do that up in D.C. when I come to visit you. If there's snow, we could play snowy murder. We could. Of course, if I'd have played this as a kid, we probably would have froze to death before somebody drove by. We live so far <laughs> on the sticks. Probably so, living over yonder and around the bend. I mean, you'd been trampled by your dairy cows. <laughs> we might have. They're so dumb. <laughs> They're like, oh, this looks like a nice rock. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Now, I'm not sure if Miss Alice would care for our jello dessert today. I don't know. I think I'm, she might. I'm going to say that she probably would. I think she so. does love a nice glass of Sauvignon Blanc. I also like that. And this is kind of like a glass of white wine, just with a Jello texture. It's yeah. not too bad, actually. No. Let's get to the stories in their first lines. Our first story is called A Basket of Strawberries. It was the inspiration for our jello pairing. And the first line is Mr. Torrance had not slept well. Not a whole lot in that sentence. And yet, a lot because you know what it's like after a night of poor sleep. Oh, yep. So a quick rundown for anyone just joining this season. I say, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Truly, we really are. And if you're happy with what you hear... Or have suggestions, maybe some critiques, we love all that. Yeah, yeah, we do. Just please leave us a rating and review. We'd much appreciate it. You can star us on Spotify, rate and review on Apple, just wherever you listen. And thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Yep. So what we've been doing is looking at the first line of these short stories and seeing how and if... They invite their reader in. So Dr. Conyard Black from the Great Courses Lectures. So Dr. Conyard Black said that there were like three ways an author could invite uh, their reader in. So in medias res, which is like in the middle of yeah. things, um, using comedy or wit. We haven't had a lot of that. No, we haven't. Not we haven't. Season, no. Or by submerging the reader with tantalizing details. They might not be tantalizing, but they might be details too, right? Yeah. Not so tantalizing. And we don't, we don't always agree on this. Yeah, you and I don't always agree. And that's kind of the cool thing about well, it. Yeah, that's literature. I mean, you're going to see something one way and I'm going to see something yeah. the other So back way. to our first line. Can you – do you have it? Where is it at? The first line. Oh, um, Mr. Torrance did not slept well, right? Right. Okay, so back to that line. I don't see comedy or wit because being tired is not funny to me. <laughs> um, it felt like details with this one. Even though we don't have a lot, what's between the lines says a lot. I did get a feeling of in medias res. Um, we're getting info because he didn't get enough sleep and now there could be consequences, I think. We'll see. Isn't there always consequences to not getting enough sleep? I mean, I've dealt with you enough times when you haven't had enough sleep. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it to me. Yeah, too, as well. <laughs> but what did you think of this line? Okay, so I think it could be in medias res because like you said, we don't know what happened before he went to bed or after, but... There's an issue with the dude not sleeping, <laughs> obviously, Mr. Torrance. <laughs> Mr. Torrance, dude. Actually, um, those are pretty interesting details, especially for a menopausing woman. What? How did that make it into a line about Mr. Torrance? Because sometimes it's hard to sleep. I want to see the man side of insomnia. Maybe that's what we're going to get here. I have no idea how you get from A to B sometimes. <laughs> 
I don't either half the time. It just, things just pop in my head. <laughs> yes. I can't you help say it. That. <laughs> right. Right. I have no filter. <laughs> right. But the right. other thing um, to look at in the first line is how much vital info that that line has. I mean, does that line have people? Does it have a place, a perspective? Does it have a problem? And it doesn't have to be all for the peas. It doesn't. No. Which this one definitely did not have. Right. People, Mr. Torrance. Place, there was really nothing mentioned, but maybe it's understood that it's in a bed. Or the bedroom as he's maybe. just woken up. Maybe you're on the street under a bridge. <laughs> anyway, the point is we can't really say. <laughs> See where Amy goes? Okay, perspective. My first thought is this is going to be a grumpy, tired, middle-aged man, but again, it's hard to say from that line. Now, perspective is so hard to get from one line for me. I mean, I think this has been the most challenging portion of this season <laughs> is to get the perspective. Yeah. It's or hard to, to understand. Or to articulate the right. perspective. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like I'm, you know, our listeners are thinking, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> but it's it's hard. Sometimes we don't know what we're talking about. No. <laughs> no. That happens. We just admitted that online. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Torrance is obviously not menopausing. Well, right? I hope not. <laughs> Let me tell you, the sleepless nights are not fun. But maybe he ate too many strawberries and he just has to poop. What? I mean, so he's probably a grumpy old poopy man because he eats too many strawberries. I suppose that's a perspective. It's in the title. <laughs> He maybe ate a basket of strawberries. Basket, oh. maybe he did. But that's one perspective for sure. Anyways, it could be. Right or wrong, the first line stuff just never gets boring for me. Or me, because I never know what's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> Wendy, no one ever does. Yeah. Joshy, he just like rolls his eyes at me all the time. So problem? You. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> he didn't sleep well. <laughs> I am the problem. <laughs> No, I, I joke, but yeah, that's the only problem I saw was the lack of sleep. Right. So A Basket of Strawberries was published in Mayfair in November 1953. The story is told in third person from Mr. Torrance's point of view. Mr. Torrance is an elderly man. My guess he was probably about 60. That's what I thought. Um, his hair is all white, but he didn't think he looked old. And maybe he didn't. Maybe. Maybe he didn't. Uh, Mr. Torrance hadn't slept well because it had been an unusually warm night. And he felt like he couldn't breathe. And his wife had been tossing and turning as well. She probably was going through menopause. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> his wife often has strange dreams and she writes them down in little notebooks. That's kind of weird to think about now that we know the story. Not to give anything away, but why would yeah. she have strange dreams? Their house is very messy and dirty. Oh, that would have... That must have driven you crazy oh to read my about gosh. that. This is even from last episode. <laughs> You've had so all many dirty. dirty houses. And I'm looking at mine right now with all this construction dust. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> I can't sleep because of all of it. Yeah? Yeah. Anyways, it did. And I had to remind myself that I didn't have any control over the situation. And just to read on. Just like I don't have any control over the construction people that don't really know how to suck their dust up, right? <laughs> I'd love to tell them. But anyways, Mr. Torrance is a teacher and he met his wife when she was his student. Her name is Goldora Stevens. <laughs> Doesn't she sound like a porn star? She does. Meeting I was Goldora Stevens on the main stage. <laughs> <laughs> but this That was the Updike episode. <laughs> so Goldora, I mean she she just captivated him when he saw her name on his roster. 
Yeah. I mean, so he seduced his student and had been forced to marry her, something he feels the town has never forgotten. Hmm. I mean, I don't know why he just didn't leave the town, like get a job somewhere else. I know. Or they didn't know him. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I feel like his staying is maybe part of his punishment, like even self-inflicted. Maybe. And that name, Golda, Golda Stevens. She's Goldora. now Goldora Terrence. <laughs> On the other main stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Torrance is still teaching at the same high school. And on this particular day, his senior class is taking an exam. So he heads in in case any of his students have any last minute questions, right? Even though he's not needed, which is made clear by the younger teacher who's administering the test. And Mr. Torrance feels like if it hadn't been for Goldora, he would have, he probably would have had like a better career. He would have been a principal years ago. So there's definitely some resentment and anger towards his wife and the town. Yeah. Right? Um, he has five senior girls in his class, and he finds them very pretty. Ugh. Takes pleasure in teaching them. I just bet he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ick. One of these girls, Ramona, visits Mr. Torrance before the test and gives him a basket of fresh strawberries from their garden as a thank you for all the help Mr. Torrance gave them in preparation for the test. She also makes a comment about him just looking so sleepy, <laughs> which sends Mr. Torrance um, just way off into a direction even I would know better than to go. And he confesses to Ramona that he had an affair with the student and has been snubbed by the town ever since, even though he married the girl. I mean, he tells Ramona that, sure, it was his fault, but he's still being punished because no one even takes his classes anymore. Poor Ramona. <laughs> Saved by the bell, Hormona runs out of the room. Mr. Torrance feels like the strawberries are a sign of how important he is to his students, to this girl, Ramona. And then he dozes off on his desk and dreams about Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> he might have been tired. Well, he didn't get Finally. a lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he is such a creep. <laughs> I think that's our key word for the season. I creep, creepy. Everyone has, to take, everyone has to take a shot of Prosecco every time they hear the word. Creep. <laughs> yep. So when he wakes, he takes his basket of strawberries and just happens to end up outside the girl's cloakroom, oh, which I'm assuming happens. it was like the locker room or whatever. Right. He overhears Ramona telling them what happened in the classroom, telling his story about seducing a student. The girls cannot believe old Mr. Torrance would ever be able to do such a thing and decides he's gone crazy. <laughs> the girls, yeah, <laughs> the girls find the story highly amusing and laughing, run out of the building, right into the young teacher's car. Young teacher, what was his name? Mr. Henderson. Mr. Henderson. I had a mouthful of um, dessert, <laughs> jello dessert. <laughs> Sorry. Interesting, right? Mr. Torrance, shaken, drops his basket of strawberries. I mean, it's a loaded ending, but we'll get to that in a minute because yes. I don't want to break it for you. So, second story? Second story is Menacitung, first line. So, um, there was an epigraph, a poem, but I didn't consider that the first line, did you? I did kind of waver back and forth, but yeah. didn't really feel like the poem was the true first line. Okay, good, because yeah, I, I did a little there. bit too. So, we, we did look at the first yes. same first line, yes. which is, Offerings, the book is called. Just random. I know. Honestly, I couldn't really tell which of the three was used here. Could be in medias res, but there's no comedy. And the only detail is the book title, which isn't that interesting. 
I was thinking that this story was going to be about a religious text, like a prayer book or something, you know, offerings. And that was not interesting to me in the least. I wasn't really invited in by this line either, except for the fact that it's short. Oh, yeah. It's another short sentence. That's what you love those. Yes. Um, But you, you know, it just, it didn't feel like it was in the middle of something. But at first read, I'm just not feeling overly interested. But you said we had to. So I'm reading it anyway. We decided on these together. (laughs) But the point is, I wasn't interested. And it didn't seem like you were either. No, not really. (laughs) True. Maybe it's a book wreck from one reader to another. And Hmm. if that's the case, I am interested in what the offerings are. And if the offering's not good, I'll stand with my not interested in reading this stance. Okay, then. All right, vital info. People, place, perspective, problem. Any of that? No people. Well, we have our narrator. Yeah. No place. Though I did think briefly of a library. Oh, that makes sense. I didn't get a perspective. It's hard to get that from a very short sentence. I said that before. Yeah, very hard to tell. Yeah. My only thought is that was, is the person telling the story a researcher of some type? Ooh. Like. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Problem. There doesn't seem to be a problem from my perspective. Perspective, the perspective I have. <laughs> the, your perspective, yeah. But at least from that sentence, there wasn't. I wondered if the book was a problem. Oh. Is it or has it been banned? That was the first thing I thought. A banned book. Now I'm interested. <laughs> it does make it more interesting, it does. doesn't it? It really does. Especially if it's a banned religious book. Ooh. <laughs> now, Menasitung was first published in The New Yorker in 1988. The point of view of this one is first person, our narrator. We right. have a narrator. But the narrator does go into the protagonist's head. So you also get this third person point of view in parts. It can feel confusing at times because you're also traveling between two time periods. Um, you're in the 1980s with the narrator, and then you're in the late 1800s with the protagonist. This one definitely benefits from a second read. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I had to read it like 10 times. <laughs> I read it quite a few. But I it, it's pages one pages of notes. You know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of rereading stuff, but this no. was one that really, every time I was like, oh, Oh. Well, maybe some of our listeners that haven't read it yet, since they've kind of heard our commentary, they'll only have to read it once. They, I would love it. Let I us would, know, guys. Yeah. They're probably smarter than us and they only they need are. it one time. <laughs> now, the narrator has found a book of poems written by Almeida Joint Roth. It's quite a name, huh? Mm-hmm. And some old newspaper clippings and photos from the town Almeida lived in. From this book, the poems, and the newspaper articles – the narrator attempts to reconstruct Almeida's life in a frontier town. Sounds so fun. I Doesn't know. it? I know. I, I feel like that would be a fun thing to yes, do. Absolutely. But what a fun activity for your kids. Exactly. Like in the classroom, you know, oh, give, yeah. Perfect. Well, Almeida's life hasn't been easy. We learned this. She lost her brother and her sister to illnesses three years after they arrived. Her mother three years after that. And then her father dies 12 years after that. Yeah. She's not married and lives in a house her father built for the family. While the front of her house, which is now owned by a liquor store owner. In the 1980s, the present day. Right, right. Faced a respectable street where owners and merchants and operators lived. The back of her house faced the worst the town had to offer. Um, 
kind of reminded me of like a cast system, like the untouchables oh, at the bottom. Yeah. The people that carry the sticks around go, because you got to let them know where you are. Yeah. You know, so cool. So cool. But the poor, these unrespectable people, I mean, they were drunks. They were dirty and it was dirty there and the whole town was disgusting. I mean, people just threw their trash and their slop out their front doors. Ugh. They do their bathroom business in the bushes. It was just like... I've only had to do that one time in my life. (laughs) I mean, it's just so disgusting. So, you know the place just right. I know. It just emanates. I'm just getting such an image. (laughs) It was so bad. Nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Almeida has a cleaning girl from that street. She herself has never been down it. No respectable person would. No, no, no. From the clippings and poem book, the narrator describes a budding romance between Almeida and Jarvis, a widower and salt mine operator. After a few walks from home, from church, Almeida starts thinking of Jarvis as a potential husband. But an event wakes her one night that changes all that. (laughs) (laughs) She wakes up one hot night and she hears a woman backstreet being beaten. I mean, she was just getting clobbered screaming. Yes, yes. She wonders if she's hearing like a murder and she doesn't know what she should do. Then she just falls back asleep. <laughs> I know. It's like, um, Almeida. <laughs> wake up, wake up. <laughs> but, you know, when she wakes up in the morning, I mean, then she's she probably wakes up startled and then just yep. runs down to her fence and then sees this woman's body lying there on the ground. Was that description not so, so good? It you was. were right there. You, you could were right see there it. with him. So she runs up to get Jarvis. I mean, the, he's coming to save her. And she's just in her robe. Oh, I know. Oh, how unrespectable. Right, in the 1800s? Oh, right. She tells Jarvis she thinks the woman's been murdered. So Jarvis goes down to look at the body. <laughs> this is not funny, guys, but it kind of, he gives it a kick, and the woman, she's not dead. <laughs> She's not. I know we're laughing, but honestly, it was written. So good. After Jarvis tells the woman, who's been on the fence, to, to get up, she does, and she starts screaming and banging her head against Almeida's fence. I mean, who does that? This woman. Almeida thinks they should call a doctor. Um, yes, Almeida, I'm with you. Uh, but Jarvis says no. He's like, no, she's fine. And tells the woman to go home, dragging her off the fence and pushing her towards home. Wasn't that just quite the scene? It was, I, I, yeah, every time I read it, I'm like. But you were so there. You were so there. You were so there. That's good writing. It is. It is. Now, the narrator tells us now Jarvis sees Almeida as a wife, as his wife, maybe, and says he'll walk with her to church. Yeah. Not just from, but to. No. Almeida goes home. She realizes, oh, now this was just something. She realizes um, her period's about to start (laughs) and writes a note uh, saying she's ill and sticks it on her front door for Jarvis to see. She's very shaken after this event and becomes a bit of a crazy lady to the townspeople (laughs) for the remainder of her life. Yeah. Though in a newspaper article on her passing, it said she'll be remembered for her eloquent quotes. I can't say that I might not turn a little crazy after an event like that. You know? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Seeing Jarvis kicking a somewhat dead lady. <laughs> right. And then be like, just go home. So the narrator goes and she looks for Elmeda's grave and after some digging, finds her stone with the rest of Elmeda's family. The narrator thinks no one else would probably know the story of Elmeda and feels that she's rescued it. So... 
Kind of was a researcher telling the story. It saying. really was. It really was. Did one opening line work better for you out of these two? I'd probably have to say the first one. I kind of had to make myself interested in the second one. I wasn't interested in any offerings. Um, it was more interesting that Mr. Torrance was tired. You? Same. Same. Um, I loved the Mr. Torrance line that he couldn't sleep. I just, I just wanted to know why. Yeah, it was boring in the language, but more of a connector for me since sometimes I can't sleep either. You know, I'm thinking these lions, like the more boring they are, the more interested in the story we are. I agree. After we get I agree. Um, but yeah, the no sleep, it definitely made the story relatable. So Monroe's style, ready? Yep. It's been described as, we're getting really specific here, Southern Ontario Gothic. Did you just make that up? No, I didn't make it up. Southern Ontario Gothic. Yeah, Google it. So I'm going to be Southern Florida Gothic. Gothic. You could do some of that. Hmm. Karen Russell writes like that. I know. Um, So it's got the elements of Southern Gothic lit, the grotesque, the dark humor, the alienation, but it's set in Southern Ontario. So we definitely saw that in the second story. Monroe's style also has a strong religious focus. Wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's deeply personal. And there's like complex experiences for her characters. Yeah. The characters often have epiphanies. Mm. I have those often. <laughs> but, you know, um, Monroe loves to write about small towns and rural people. Her settings are often in her own backyard, southern Ontario. Um, in the first story, A Basket of Strawberries, it's set in a small town. And Mr. Torrance, having committed his crime in that small town and stayed has felt punished ever since. And he blames the religious people of the town for never letting him forget, for never letting him advance any further in his career. Mr. Torrance was creepy. Got a drink. Oh, he was creepy. But no wonder the town <laughs> talked drink. about him. What if Gosh, he was? Stop. I know. <laughs> but he loved his female students, didn't he? And uh, he still does. Yeah. Ugh. And he did have an epiphany at the end. The new teacher, you know, the PE teacher, Mr. Henderson, mm-hmm. he's taking over. Yeah. Picking up his senior girls after their exam. <sighs> no wonder he couldn't sleep. Here he was, standing at the mirror before work, convincing himself he doesn't look old. Gets brought some strawberries by a student. I'm sure Ramona was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, he um, said she was. Further validates him. And then he hears the combo of what they really think about him, and that he's not capable of seducing anyone. And then they run off with a younger teacher, a younger version mm-hmm. of him. No wonder he couldn't sleep. <laughs> His dialogue with himself was so, I have a new word, <laughs> ick. <laughs> making, but he was ick. Mm-hmm. I mean, making himself out to be this purveyor of knowledge that the girls are just eating up. <sighs> he speaks for all the scholars before him, but the town is too ignorant to realize his gift. He was rather full of himself. And most of the kids are only taking his class because they, they need an easy A. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, he's desperate to be liked and respected. He is. And it's so odd to confess his sin to a student. Ugh. Like, what? I was wondering if he thought that he might tempt her with his story of scandal. He's convinced that even, what, 30-some years later, the town is still talking about what he did. And the irony is that, you know, when he overhears the girls, they don't have any idea such a thing happened. Right. And they can't even believe it would happen. (laughs) That's how they see Mr. Torrance. Yeah. 
That's how he learns how he's really viewed. We're always more involved in our Orin stories we than are. anyone else's. We are. All right. In the second story, in the second story, Minasitung, the we had the small town setting. Um, these characters that came from somewhere else creating a new settlement. Oh, I love the characters in the short story. Oh my gosh. Drunk lady who's either in a wheelbarrow or Almeida thinks she's a wheelbarrow. Right. She thinks she's a wheelbarrow. She does think she's a wheelbarrow. And Jarvis, the widower that only likes women who seem to need a man. Almeida was just too independent before the incident at her fence. Yeah. Right? It was only after Almeida came running to Jarvis that he then thought of her as wife material. Meanwhile, in Almeida's fantasies for a husband, she wants a man she doesn't have to make, like she sees the other women doing. Well, Almeida doesn't want no fixer-upper man. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> what about the doctor Almeida saw who thinks she should get married so then she'll be able to sleep? Didn't the doctor also tell her to do some housework so she could sleep? <laughs> I think it was him. Yes, it, that was him. That was I him. I think so. Anyway, it worked. Yeah, the housework did work, actually. Yeah. And finally, our protagonist, the poetess. Honestly, I found her story really, really funny. Not the first line, but the rest of it, once I figured it out. I <laughs> After my 10th time reading it, I, was, I had an epiphany. That's good. I had read um, Monroe often uses an omniscient narrator to try and make sense of things. I don't know if that worked, but now that I think about it, that's kind of what was used in this story because we have the narrator telling us the story, right? We have the outside narrator kind of describing things. And then she also takes us into Almeida and Jarvis's minds to see what they're thinking. It's mostly Almeida because it's her story. But when um, Jarvis thinks of marrying Almeida, we're actually in his head. We see his thoughts. That's right. That's right. I'm not sure if it helped me make sense of things, but the narrator certainly felt like she'd made sense of Almeida's life in a way others hadn't. Yeah, I agree with that. And it felt like uh, Monroe's style evolved. The second had a lot more gothic elements, but something I noticed in both of them was the inability of the protagonist to sleep, the description of dreams, and this general feeling of Dirtiness, both places. <laughs> I agree. The Torrance place was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I kept thinking of you the whole oh. time I was reading it. But so was Almeida's town, really. It was. And her house with the grape jelly oh. juice and pulp and her smelly period diaper. I mean, when I, <laughs> when I read that part, I nearly felt sick. Great description. Like, kudos to Monroe. It's maybe a little too good. You could practically smell the filth. Oh, I feel dirty just thinking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, her work definitely evolved and I did like it despite my early disinterest, especially the second one. Yeah. I love that story. I mean, it felt so old. It felt historic. And I love historical fiction. Same, same, girl. Okay. What about the endings of these two? Authentic, satisfying? Did you get some closure and completion? So for the first story, Mr. Torrance hides out by the girl's locker room or cloakroom or whatever it was. Archaic words. Cloakroom. <laughs> At least them, I knew what that was. Yeah. <laughs> he hears them talking about him and they can't believe the story about him seducing a student could be true. It sends the girls into like this hysterical laughter. Mr. Torrance basically stands in his spy spot. I know. <laughs> he was shocked. Until the girls leave. 
I'm just going to read the last paragraph. I've got my book open to it here. Oh my gosh, Wendy. Mr. Torrance. It's just so good. I have to read it. So Mr. Torrance felt his body shaken as if by the wind. His loose hands let the strawberries fall and they rolled down the steps. He could not see them in the dark. He had one left, but he did not want it. It was not ripe. (laughs) Even though he told Ramona, his student, earlier when she gave them to him, that they were just exactly how he liked them. Not too sweet. Or ripe, should we say. Yet. Wow. Talk about a loaded paragraph. So loaded and authentic. I mean, it was so good. It showed you behaviors are really cyclical. Um, So there was this sense of closure in that things, they just don't change. They just evolve with time in a different way. Mr. Torrance was the teacher the girls liked. Now there's a younger teacher taking his place. That's ick. Mm -hmm. Probably true though. Yeah. And the strawberry he managed to catch, that's Goldora Stevens, his Garden of Eden forbidden fruit. Wow. Um, And of course, he partook of the fruit and paid the price. Mm, He did. Such religion. (laughs) My gosh. I mean, he doesn't even want Goldora anymore. I mean, he's done with her. He wants wants a new fruit, but he (laughs) reaped what he sowed. That was his epiphany. He does want new fruit. He thought Ramona was going to be new fruit, didn't he? Um, I don't really have much to add to that, except I... It's hard to top that anyways. I thought the ending was authentic and satisfying and the closure. His epiphany is the closure of the story. Well, and I came to that while I was having an insomnia night. (laughs) Eating strawberries. Eating strawberries. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I feel like a divide was presented in the story instead of reconciled. Oh. The one between Mr. Torrance and his students now. That divide obviously wasn't there before since he slept with and then married his student. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. Right. In this day and age, Mr. Torrance and the new teacher, Mr. You know Henderson, those boys would be in jail. Well, it certainly wouldn't be solved by marrying the student and then Ugh. staying in the same town to teach for the next 30 years, probably in the same classroom. Parents would not let that happen. No, no way. Okay, second story. Menace Tongue ends with the narrator looking for the grave of Almeida, which she finds after a bit of digging. Takes her a little bit, though, doesn't it? She notices the name on the grave is Maida, which was a name used in one of the poems in Almeida's book, and she feels like she made a connection no one else mm-hmm. would have. Agree. Yeah. That Almeida was called by this nickname. She thinks, I have no idea if this narrator's female, but that's what she is to me. Did you get a feeling yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, anyway, she, she thinks- She made it her truth. Right. Right. She thinks nobody but her knows this. Well, maybe some. You know, those few that are curious enough maybe to be driven to find out- But our narrator does feel like she's rescued this nickname fact from being completely forgotten. This ending, I mean, it just, it left me thinking about discovery. You know, rabbit holes. (laughs) (laughs) Just the process of digging into the past. I mean, it can be so fun. Maybe too much fun for you and I. (laughs) Well, because we have the time to do it. Yeah. The amount of digging we can get lost in. Mm. Yeah. This ending was satisfying. We learn all about Almeida's life, even how she died and where she was buried, which also gave closure. Now, there's another ending to this story. When Monroe published um, this in her collection, Friend of My Youth, this was the last paragraph. Um, Go ahead and read it. 
and they may get it wrong after all. I may have got it wrong. I don't know if she ever took laudanum. Many ladies did. I don't know if she ever made grape jelly. I mean, now we have a cliffhanger and everything we just read may or may not be true. Yeah, that's true. Um, That's interesting that there was a different ending because it it does kind of change it a bit. But I don't really mind because I know I'm reading fiction, you know, and those are two very minor details to point out. Even with the disgusting grape jelly scene of Almeida walking through it and tracking it everywhere. I guess it just made the story less messy for me. Well, it does feel like more closure for me with the ending we had. Yeah, I can see that. I thought both endings were really good, though, um, of both stories. The divide in the second story felt like it was kind of examining how women are viewed if they don't marry. Spinster. (laughs) That's right. Um, They're going to just end up a little crazy if they don't, apparently. Right. Obviously, that wasn't reconciled. But I did feel like Almeida took control of her own life just when she might have become a wife. I think the body on the fence shook her. I just an extreme shakeup. Yeah, I think it did too. It was like, uh, um, what, PTSD? Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't have though. And she also had her epiphany after that, yes, right? Yes, she did. Jarvis isn't the man for her, and there's more than enough going on in her own life, and she has words, she has poems in her that are ready to be written, which she does for the rest of her life, according to her obituary. Sounds like she had writer's block, and then she didn't. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Some of Monroe's common themes are relationship problems, moral conflicts, and memory and reality, and those were definitely present in these stories. Relationship problems? Mr. Torrance slept with his student, who's now his wife, and he all but hates her. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And now he's lusting after his current students. Yeah, he's got some relationship problems. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Gross. Obviously. Creep. (laughs) Creep. Cheers. (laughs) I didn't think that Almeida had relationship problems. I I mean, I didn't, really. She doesn't have a lot of relationships. And she certainly doesn't seem to think she does. But not being married at her age during that time was a problem for the rest of the town. What is it with these spinsters trying to have a man-free life back in the day? Yeah, come on. I mean, the absolute nerve of them. Exactly. Moral conflicts? Hmm. Sleeping with your students? Fantasizing about them? Yep, moral conflict. (laughs) Yeah, especially in the first one. Almeida's moral conflict is whether she should have helped the woman at her back fence. Should she have lit a lantern, said something, called the doctor, instead of just go back to sleep? Right. (laughs) Um, The weight of her moral conflict obviously made her tired. Well, clearly. Clearly. (laughs) And then to look at memory and reality. Mr. Torrance's memory is that everyone is still just as hung up on his scandalous liaison as he is. (laughs) But the reality is that the kids don't even know and can't even believe he could do such a thing. Yeah. Reality check, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, Almeida's a little different. She was living in reality and then after her traumatic event, went to her memories. Or she got lost in memories and seems to have spent the rest of her life like in those memories just writing poems about them. Very similar themes. Yeah. American stories are about trouble in the mind. And boy, do we have that here. Especially in the first one. Yes. Uh, Mr. Torrance was troubled about his long ago classroom dalliance. And he's still living with it. I mean, he was intrigued by words and by Goldora. I mean, that name. I mean, it did have kind of a beauty to it. Mm. Goldora on the main stage. (laughs) 
kind of had a Garden of Eden draw to it. But then young Goldora grew up to be a fat, lazy, slobbish woman. But she did right. Well, whatever. And Mr. Torrance is further disgusted by her because she doesn't she doesn't even read or know anything. Who knows what she was writing? Probably <laughs> about her dreams. In his opinion. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't a very good teacher then. I think that goes without saying that young teacher best be careful. You know, the beautiful Ramona will not stay young forever. Nope. I will say, at least Mr. Torrance married her. I mean, he did live a miserable life, it seems. Maybe Goldora has as well. But she still seems happy. She did. But he did the right thing, didn't he? Yeah, for the times. Yeah, for the times. It was a little bit old school, but it made sense for the time frame, time period. Yeah, it did. I wonder if the trouble he really had was that no one was taking his classes and he felt like the study of the old lit grades wasn't being valued. Maybe maybe. that was it. And I don't think it was at the time. He was trying to preserve this culture that just wasn't interesting to the youth of that time. Yeah, yeah. You ever watch Pretty Little Liars? No. Why do I even ask? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So Torrance, the young teacher, and the five senior girls reminds me of that show. Really? The teacher is Ezra Fitz, and Ramona is Aria Montgomery. I mean, it's so good. You've got to watch it. I think Rafina would like that. I'll put it on my list then, okay? He might. He might. As far as emotional stake, I was curious about Mr. Torrance and the fact that he was still teaching in the same town. He's probably in the same classroom. I was happy to see him get his reality check at the end. So, yeah, I cared in that regard. I did find the whole story a bit startling. Though I guess seducing students isn't a new pastime. Pastime? That's not the word I would use. (laughs) And the ages of the kids got married back in the day. I mean, I suppose he would have nearly had to be dating a high schooler, but jeez. I don't know why I don't think about it happening that long ago. I mean, I've only known one teacher who married his student. It's kind of weird, but whatever, toot your horn. I mean, as long as they're consenting, I guess, right? All right, the second story to wrap this up, I feel like the trouble was with these poor people relegated to this back street, just ignored and abused. I mean, this widening gap between the haves and have-nots. And Almeida, she's kind of straddling both in a sense. For me, I mean, I read this as so of the times when society thought men needed subordinate women. I bet feminists had a blast with this piece. Almeida has no plans to be subordinate to anyone. No. And it feels like it's only after she's run for a man to help her that that becomes crystal clear. She does not need or even really want Jarvis. Nope. I loved that gossip column in the story. Mm. I mean, we all need the vidette for our neighborhoods. Oh, wait, we do. We've got (laughs) Facebook. (laughs) I know Pearl Street, Almeida's back street. I mean, it was just such a scandal, but I loved it. (laughs) You wanted more stories about that. Oh, no. I mean, I had I would have written for the Vidette for free. I mean, there's so much scandalous material on that dirty, stinking Pearl Street. And you only got a couple in this I story. I know, I know. There was more of an emotional stake in this story. I really wanted to know about Almeida. I did too. I did too. And I cared about the second story. I mean, I just laughed so much. There was just so much going on. It was a lot. Even the crazy title. And you knew Maida was going to get her period from that title. (laughs) I know. I was like, this has to mean. Right, right. And on her one chance, her one chance, when Jarvis finally asked her to walk to church, 
Yeah. I mean, remember when she was fantasizing about Jarvis coming into her bedroom and she wonders if he'll remove his hat? Oh, yes. <laughs> She's like, I, for so sure, surely he will. <laughs> right? <laughs> then instead of walking to church with him, she ties herself up in a period towel. Like a diaper. It's so <laughs> gross. Thank God for maxi pad. You're a lot. Do you know that? <laughs> so I've been told. Is there anything about these two stories you'd like to add before we sum them up in six words? Nothing other than I'm so glad we did a season of short stories. We may even have turned a few of our listeners to short stories. Maybe. Maybe. Now, I like the first line of the first story better. Story two as a whole, though, was my favorite of these two. What about you? I enjoyed them both as well, but I also enjoyed story two more. Um, one thing I'd like to add that I read was that Monroe often wrote about her character's clothes in earlier works because she didn't have oh. or she wasn't able to have the clothes she wanted when she was younger. And Ramona's clothes when she visits Mr. Torrance were very thoroughly described. Oh, you got me there. I didn't pick up on that. Nice job. Thank you. I just feel like I got a gold star. I'm starting to lack. <laughs> well, are you ready to give me your sixer um, summary for a basket of strawberries? Sure. Um, repercussions of classroom liaison consume teacher. Oh, nice. Big words, too. You're of the times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm archaic. <laughs> so I've got a couple. What? I've got a couple. Teacher's crime of seduction passed on, or Torrance and Henderson, two swole teachers. <laughs> Those are both a little <laughs> ick, <laughs> but they're good. What about for Menasitung? Okay, this is super simple, but watch and learn, sister. <laughs> I've been the whole season. Once upon a time, maybe not. Ooh, I like that because, yeah, maybe not. The whole not. essence of the yeah. story. I've got a list, actually, because it was kind of, I didn't, yeah, I got a list. All right. Okay. Almeida, pioneer, caretaker, poetess, dreamer, eccentric. That's a different approach. It makes me want to read on. Oh, good. And I think Dr. CB would be proud of it, but I didn't think lists were authorized. <laughs> well, you always have two, so I'm going to have my list. Okay. Anyway. So... What did you think of this strawberry Prosecco jelly dessert? I mean, it was kicked up with a bit of the strawberry and rose vodka. So I couldn't really tell. It didn't really come through. Um, it's jelly texture. You know, it's really super pretty. I think we could have put more of the vodka in it if we wanted to make it yeah. a little more flavorful. That strawberry rose, is, it's good. It we is had, good. It's a single shot. Um, eh, I'm kind of... Neutral about it. I don't dislike it, right. but I don't love it. Right. I don't love it. Oh, after last episode's Ugh. the bursting boba. Yeah. Man, we went through those. And those were so, so those good. were so good. Well, it was okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't love it or hate it. Yeah. That's I how would I feel. eat it. It's better than a JB's big boy <laughs> rotating, you know, dessert counter. You know those refrigerators? Yeah. Ugh. It's pretty, though. It's a it really is. pretty. It is. It makes us look like we're fancy. Appearances are deceiving. <laughs> exactly. And that does it for Alice Monroe. Join us in two weeks for our final author of the season, Ernest Hemingway and his short stories, In Our Time, and The Killers, which we will pair with a mimosa jello shot. Cheers! 
Thanks again for joining us for an episode of Prosecco and Prose. To view the complete show notes for today's episode, visit www.proseccoandprose.com and follow the link to Buzzsprout. Please follow or subscribe. It's free wherever you listen, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. You can even show your support by rating and leaving us a review, which helps other lit lovers discover our show. Feel free to connect with us on our website or any of our social media. I'm Wendy. And I'm Amy, signing off as our bottle of bubbly is now empty. See you for the next episode, and in the meantime, pop a cork and read. read.